1: You're listening to the best of the MTJC podcast. That's, that's moving up, right? It used to be there is
0: no step Next three. Step yeah, three yeah. Yeah. Next step is going to be someone just comes on stage. Silence. There is no, step, no step one. one. <laughs> Mic <Mike> drop. <laughs> walk away. <laughs> Boom. Everyone is just... Crowd goes wild. <laughs>
3: So hey everybody, welcome to episode 250 of the More Just Code podcast. My name is Dimitra. I am currently in San Jose, California, attending WWDC. So this is WWDC Live. And with me today is, as usual, Marky Rubin. Lou. Who's always in San Jose. And I'm also with Alexis Gallagher. Hi. And we have Ricky De La Viega. And where are you normally hailing from? Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Are you originally from Texas, I think you said? Yes, sir. Cool. And Alexis, where are you currently residing? San Francisco, born and raised. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so yeah, well, we have some Ask MTJC from last week. Let's have a- Quick look at it. Uh, so I met uh, the real Dave Verver um, at uh, James Dempsey in the Breakpoints where I was playing, and he was, he was at the door letting people in. So he explained to me the pronunciation of his name is actually Dutch. Mm. Dutch. We were talking about German mm-hmm, last mm-hmm, week, right? Thanks. Mm-hmm. And sense. Namrata, who uh, was we were talking about joining startups as a senior developer discussion we had last week, mm-hmm. so she rebutted on that. Let me said, uh, of course, there are many other things to consider when looking at these companies apart from money. Ultimately, you want to be in a place where you will be happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right, right? cool. Uh, um, so, we had some fact-check from last week, too. Uh, um, the latest estimates uh, say that there are 2.8 million developers concentrating on Apple's iOS, and that's according to Quora in 2018. We were wondering how many developers there are there. And uh, Bobby Orr, who I mentioned last week, was actually born in Perry Sound, not late in Perry Sound, and he was a junior with the Oshawa Generals before the, before the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, so, yeah, so we're here to talk about WWDC, obviously, since we're live, and uh, just want to put it around the table here, so what, uh, what did you think was the most impressive thing you've seen? Well, I think uh, people are
0: probably going to agree on this, but the Swift UI stuff was very impressive, right? and mm-hmm. what was impressive is how uh, much it seems to be a representation of ideas that we see in other language communities mm-hmm. and other stacks, mm-hmm. and for the longest time people were saying, why does an Apple do this? Look how backward they are, and then, whoa, lo and behold, they've actually been working on it for <laughs> years, and it seems pretty good. Um, one thing that's especially interesting to me is how some of the language features that we knew about actually uh, Actually, turn out to be very useful for supporting this. So, suggests there is this motivations for some of the language development that we weren't aware of. And uh, I think the big question in my mind, just looking at it, is uh, probably again a question a lot of people are having. But this looks really great. It looks really great for simple apps. It, hopefully, it'll be really great for complex apps too. But I want to like see you know how that works, like how the interop is, and and what's like fundamentally better about it that uh, will make it work better for complicated apps, and what's uh, you know somewhat better, but it's not gonna it's not gonna take away all the problems that are just part of user interface apps.
3: Right, it seems to be something that will make develop easy easy for people to adopt development and writing for uh, Apple platforms. But um, is it is it very close to React? You know, React Native,
0: or uh, I'm not an authority on that, but I think the basic uh, model of declarative representation of the UI and then strong patterns that enforce a functional like data flow pattern, where you get the model that goes to view, and that's a reliable one way path. That's not just uh, you know React Native, but it's like React on the web. So it's, a, it's, it's a model
3: view view model kind of idea. I whenever Model
0: view, view model comes up. I start on a like maybe somewhat uncharitable rant about like people just say model, <laughs> view, view model because they're keep they keep like to invent new acronyms, but really anyone who was doing MVC correctly was already being fairly orderly about how they would progress state into the views. So why do you need a new acronym for it? Why don't you right. just do it right? And then I start feeling like a really cranky curmudgeon. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would not want <laughs> to be, um, you know, presenting myself as an authority of whether it's MVVM. I, I would say that as near as I can tell, the essence of the idea, which is available in uh, other languages and other kind of uh, user interface patterns as well is please be careful about the state which which is represents values mm-hmm. that are going to appear as views and then have a nice, clean, orderly function that takes your values and emits your views, the stuff on the screen. And uh, in some sense, I would say people who are very organized about MVC or reasonably organized around it are already working in that way. Mm-hmm. You can see the functions that move uh, model values into your views, whether you're creating views or updating them. But there's a difference between having a complicated system where it's possible to use it in an orderly way and having a system that makes the guidelines and rails very clear that you that you move along. So when I look at this, it seems to me like it makes things better by making those guidelines and rails really clear. That's sort of a superficial difference, but it's one that makes a big difference. Like Ruby on Rails was so successful, partly because it was really articulating a clear opinion on paths, on a style of development and architecture that would work well. Uh, the question in my mind is, uh, what are the benefits besides those ones that come from just making the path clear? Are there other benefits that make the system them fundamentally more composable mm-hmm. than, than what we work with with UIKit. And I don't really know yet because I haven't, I haven't tried, but uh, but that's the thing that's really on my mind. I can see how this is better in ways that are sort of superficial, but that can be really important, mm-hmm. you know? In, in a way, like Swift introduced these supports for functional programming that were kind of superficial, like better syntax for immutability, better support for passing closures around, for defining closures. We do all these things in Objective-C. So in some way, the advantages that Swift provided functional programming were kind of superficial, but they were really important superficials. They made it so easy and accessible, that it became convenient, and people did it. So in the same way, I wonder: are the benefits for user interface application development in SwiftUI uh, superficial, but very important, or are are also, you know, much deeper benefits and kinds of composability that come out of the model? And I don't know, but that's that's the question that's really on my mind. Yeah, yeah I
4: agree. I, w- I wonder if some of the simplifications are going to make it harder to do very complicated layout, like right. some of these really crazy collections where views are moving all over the place, or uh, anytime I you want to be able to do that. Yeah, anytime
0: you want to do something custom, is this going to be, you know, kind of like storyboards? Like it'll make an easy thing easier. And mm-hmm. then the moment you want to do something that's not easy, now you're actually in a world that was more complicated than it was before. Like, it makes easy things easy, it makes harder things harder. Or right, is it going to make right. easy things easy and make hard things also easier? Right. Which is what we're all hoping for. But yeah. let's see. I'm trying not to just come off as, like, curmud- curmudgeonly, because I haven't really, like, tried to build that's, anything. That's so smart job actually. It. Right. Okay, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, you know, outsource my, my cur- curmudgeonliness to you.
2: Like. I mean, I agree with everything Alexis was saying. I think there's, uh, you know, the language features seeing like, a really interesting sort of of like way of seeing the progression here and like the things that they were adding over the years through evolution and everything else eventually you know paying off here and I do think that there is you know really um, encouraging sign seeing Apple taking good ideas from other places and incorporating them into Swift and Xcode Um, you know the value types and immutability and making that you know first class citizens and trying to integrate them into everything Uh, where I see the similarity to React and this kind of stuff is in the diffing updates, and they even had. I was looking for it in my notes, but it is something about learn once, use everywhere. Right. That's very yeah, close to that slogan that you know, sort of different frameworks are using. I was actually talking to another developer who does Flutter right. uh, for her company, and she's like, "Oh, there's so many similarities." And she was looking at the Swift UI hashtag on Twitter, and there was Flutter developers with like screenshots of Dart and Swift next to each other. So I think that's all you know, actually encouraging and sort of promising, and um, you know, it's definitely appealing to like the web development. Developers with the uh, live previews that are mm-hmm. reloading yeah. as you type or, you know, you can make um, active and then, you know, even click around and see the live update. And yeah, you could say there's it. there's
0: like three stories here. There's like a tooling story, kind of live updates like people are used to who use like CodePen or just JavaScript developers. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of programming model story, uh, declarative representations of the UI that's directly passed into the, converted to views through pure functions, managed by the framework. Um, and then the third aspect is the platform unification story. Like the fact that, you know, the Swift UI thing can be used for the watch and iPad right, and, yeah. and the phone yeah. and, and TVOS. If they'd only announced just the platform unification story, like if it was kind of the old stuff, but hey, now it works everywhere. We'd probably still feel like that was kind of cool and mm-hmm. a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. But there's so much in this that it takes a while to unpack it. Yeah,
3: it's funny. I've, I've been hearing a lot of things from other people about like it's, it's not really ready for production and that kind of stuff. And I think there's a bit of naysaying happening. People even calling it SUI on online, you know, SUI. Mm. Um, but that's what they said about Swift One. But that <laughs> didn't <true>. stop me. <laughs> <laughs> true. I was using that
2: it in my notes couple just of years because years well, was
3: Coming at it from a, from a non-computer science background, I mean, like, you know, I started off with scripting languages and that kind of stuff, like, you know, the PHP's mm-hmm. and your file, and even using FileMaker Pro kind of uh, stuff where you just kind of drag things, even HyperCard if you go back that far. And that was very similar. You just sort of put things together and, and you know, kind of, if you needed it to do something, you had to go and research, like, how, what do I do with this mouse click, that kind of stuff, right? But, um, but I kind of wonder, is it is it, like, going to introduce programming or iOS development to more people or even watch? Them to more people because it's simplified, in a sense. Yeah, I said.
0: Yeah, think you. I mean, just look at the tools; it looks so much more accessible, and I think that make a difference. It's funny that you mention uh, dynamic programming environments here, though, mm-hmm. because the irony is that one of the most dynamic programming devir- environments for building up user interfaces was Smalltalk, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and Objective C was, you know, originally supposed Derivative. to kind of yeah. capture the dynamism of Smalltalk while also giving you access to the performance of C. And I think, uh, you know, in much earlier iterations, when Interface Builder uh, was more of a first-class citizen code, that that uh, uh, promise was closer to being there, but in some but in some way now we're like moving away from the stack that originally uh, was motivated by and was was intended to provide this dynamism. That's that's another puzzle here, right? Like Swift is a fairly static language compared to Objective C, and I think traditionally um, dynamic development environments uh, have been based in dynamic languages, and people thought that was necessary. Smalltalk and Lisp, classic uh, like very dynamic languages that also had these very impressive um, development environments, like whether it's the old like Lisp machines or just the fact that you can, like, pack your pack your text editor while you're writing in it in Emacs and small talk with the object browsers. Um, but now we're seeing with Swift this effort to create the kind of very dynamic development environment but on top of the static language, that so requires these extra language features, and uh, I hope it works out. I hope it works out. Uh, right, right. But, it,
3: but it, 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 there's some, like, interesting ironies when you think about the history of it all here. So we've been you and I have been chatting back and forth on Slack with the FIMA on our MTJC Slack, mm-hmm. and you were asking, because you hadn't seen any of the stuff yet or even the keynote yet, like, what is this... Like, where is the view controller or where is this stuff hidden I mean right, I do have an answer right. for you but apparently it's a home view controller which is a subclass of UI view controller which they mentioned yesterday but so what do you think about this this new paradigm maybe a chance to look at it at all
4: well I've looked at it a little bit I haven't gone deeply into it uh, it, it looks it looks pretty interesting at, at the same time though I am happy to see that they haven't completely forgotten about UI UIKit uh, with some of the new language features there was a, a real nice talk on these uh, diffable uh, data sources mm-hmm. uh, I think data flow in, in particular UI. with respect to collection views that mm-hmm. was real nice so, 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 I am glad to see. You. So, just in case this stuff isn't really ready for prime time, there's at least some attempt to retrofit some of the new language features back to this thing. Uh, things that
3: we in. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to see the, the collection view talk, but apparently, that they didn't quite go. Like, it, you know, it, we joked about this a couple of weeks ago and last week about the, about there's always some sort of overriding, overarching theme that's in everything. Like, everything mm-hmm. has Swift UI in it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that with dark mode, or not dark mode, but we've seen that with the large font type. Everything had to have large font type. This sort of becomes a running theme of almost a gag. <laughs> WWDC.
4: Actually, um, I would say the theme is is more combined rather than combined. Than no, so was, that's where I am going to
3: go. Now I was going to ask about combined because, mm. to be honest with you, I will be honest with you. I haven't completely wrapped my head around it. I went to a session yesterday, which kind of explained. It was called combined practice belief. And talking about you know having a publisher and then having um, a subscriber uh, mm-hmm. as, as as you know how the communication goes to and then send subscriber sends the view that kind of stuff. And there was another. Uh, I Have to look at my notes too, but there was another uh, uh, medium for doing that. So, um, so what do you what do you think about combined? What can you say? About
4: it. Again, I I don't know too much about it because I, I was exposed just you know Briefly, just as yeah. much as you have, but but my impression is that it's a it's kind of a nice modern way of taking uh, NS notifications and right. KVO, yeah, KVO and yeah. kind of all wrapping it up into a nice clean wrapper. Yeah, uh, and it's clearly the uh, underlying technology to all the bindings that are in SwiftUI. UI. Sure, yeah. It's definitely under hood there. So it looks it looks pretty interesting. Uh, again, need to dig more into it. Yeah. So the out. session
3: I went to yesterday they talked about you know callbacks, uh, closures, mm-hmm. notifications, and KVO being all sort of part of this thing. And they went on, they talked about it quite a bit using Combine in, in regular develop regular iOS development, but then they talked about the special handling that Swift UI has because mm. it makes it a lot simpler.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Uh, almost to the point where I don't need to understand it, which kind of scares me in a sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> it scares you in a sense, I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, yeah, so any anything else that you guys saw at the WWC in general? Like have you, did you get a chance? You were talking about going to some of the other sessions, the Metal sessions, and the uh, ml Well,
0: uh, ARKit is close to my heart because we use augmented. Uh, reality on mm-hmm. the uh, app I work on. Mm-hmm. We sell
3: glasses and we have a virtual try-on. You can say the name of the app if you like. Yeah,
0: it's a topology I wear. Everyone run out and buy glasses right now. It's in the <laughs> app store. Um, but we use uh, augmented reality try-on so you can see how your uh, glasses look where you bought them using augmented reality. And we don't use ARKit right now, mm-hmm. but I've always wanted to use it and okay. been sort of waiting for the moment that uh, we can use it. And I'm still not sure if that moment has arrived because what we do requires a lot of physical precision. They talked a lot about improvements to ARKit, uh, but I'm not as clear about those. But one thing I thought was very impressive uh, was the uh, AR Kit. I think it was the AR Kit 3 session that uh, they mentioned in passing, I think, features that were part of the reality kit. They talked about how they make rendering worse in certain ways in order to make the augmented reality better. They didn't describe it that way, but just to give some examples, like if you are uh, moving your device quickly, then you're going to see camera blur out of the real camera. But so What they do now is they simulate the camera blur hmm. on the rendering. And, you know, you could do a perfect rendering, but if you want it to look like everything else looks because your camera's moving, then you want to simulate motion blur. Um, and then similarly depth of field effects so they're simulating things being out of focus on purpose because that's where they would be at that distance but it goes even beyond that they simulate uh camera grain textures (laughs) so you get grain on your camera if you're in a low light environment and then you've jacked up and the camera is trying to compensate for low light by increasing the sensitivity of the sensor and that produces this characteristic graininess and your ar is going to look fake if the uh, virtual reality content is nice and sharp but where the rest of the world is kind of grainy so now they're simulating kind of bad uh camera capture in the rendering and that just struck me as very cool. That's actually uh, an issue that we have right now because a lot of people will take videos of themselves for the glasses that we sell mm-hmm. while they're sitting on their sofa in a dark room. Even though we've given all these instructions about please go somewhere where Wait. it's well lit, it and back white. Yeah, the and then you get this it. augmented reality where it's sort of grainy and dark, except the glasses are very nicely lit because we haven't sampled the lighting environment and mm-hmm. simulated that. So uh, I was just impressed by all the um, subtleties that they keep
3: adding to the AR experience in order to make it more photorealistic. Yeah, in the world of art, that we call that photorealism, but uh, and. Uh, and I've been following, you know, three D modeling, and and a- I even did AR back in you know, five six years ago before it was cool, and, mm. um, and nobody was interested. That was your band, right? Yeah. Yeah. AR it was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good name for band. That's what I think. The third album, um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the what I was going to say is, and now when I go back and watch old video effects, like even old Star Wars clips and stuff like that, if George Lucas doesn't go in and doctor them, I mean, you can sort of see see the difference. Now we're all looking at high res televisions, yeah. and you can see the the effect you th- in you know Raiders of the Lost Ark was so cool when you were like a kid. Yeah. Mm. And now it's like, oh, look, at like oh, based it, it on. So, so I mean, it's kind of interesting that they're, they're going that far to make it make it realistic, right? Or yeah, realistic.
0: it's a good analogy. I, I kind of, uh, it's like when you go and look at old video games now from mm-hmm. 50, 10 or 15 years ago, yeah, it looks uh, cartoonish and primitive. But then when you were a kid and you were playing it, like, this is amazing. I'm like, you know, I'm in a dungeon. I'm Zelda. Now it's like, <laughs> you're, you're like 200 pixels. You're, you're, you're nothing. But at yeah. the time, because you'd never seen better, it was impressive. And I kind of feel like maybe all of augmented reality is, is a little like that right now, where like no one is really nailed like photorealistic like you can't tell if it's real or not mm-hmm. but, but everything we do is something we haven't done before so people are kind of like yeah that's pretty cool mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. not actually
3: you know hitting the mark that you need to for it to be completely it photorealistic. Tell us the art world where, where you know every artist sort of takes and that ne- goes the next step further mm-hmm. along in development of painting or sculpting or whatever yeah. and I remember seeing early 3D animations in the 90s I think Pixar has like a film of their early work mm-hmm. and it's very primitive and it's very clean you know like Shiny, like glossy, kind of look, and, and and no wonder Toy Story came out of that work because Toy Story toys can be clean and shiny. Right. And so the material it, models are easier right. to, yeah. to author. Yeah. That's when ray tracing and fongs were just sort of being started working on in in like Public World.
2: Um, old video games are a good example because yeah. even just the resolution of the television has jumped. So yeah. Much. yeah, yeah, that's true. You well, look, my
3: kids all love that. Like my grandkids will play the, play the old retro games because they they're retro. They look, you know, look how look how choppy this is. The old Atari <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's
2: as old as. You. To grandpa <laughs> yeah, <I won't>
3: <laughs> yeah it's, y- it's younger than me he has a so
2: what do you think of reality composer
3: i haven't seen that one so I, it's I like this app so
2: this is maybe another theme of this wwdc is apple sh- shipping special mac apps just for developers because they mm-hmm. have the one for swift symbols mm. okay uh what are, is that what they're called yeah, sf, SF, SF symbol. symbols yeah. SF symbol, there you go and uh then they have this one reality composer where you can create 3d object to put into your ar uh app but mm-hmm. also just i mean i think it's a very very, barely general purpose like 3D animation design tool. That makes an sense. Thing. makes
0: sense, right? Because if you say you're a developer and then you want to start doing something with augmented reality, uh, you quickly discover that, oh, wait, there's like a metric ton of design skills and art skills that I need just in order to get started. So having tool, making the tooling easier around creation is essential.
2: Yeah, and things like Maya are just really unapproachable mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for people just getting started. Or even Blender. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is my
3: big question. Like, you know, I think I saw a couple of sessions here, where they they had like oh you can use this helicopter. Oh, and it was the playgrounds talk. And, you know, no, no knock against Jonathan Penn and the team over there, but good friends of mine. But um, <laughs> the playgrounds talk, uh, they they have all these built in you know objects, you could, library of objects, you can, and I've always been bothered as a three D mm. artist looking at that stuff because I don't want to use the helicopter that's built into their tool. I want to basically build my own helicopter, which yeah. means I got to now break up Blender and I got to break up vision Studio and make my own textures and stuff like that. Right, that's that's where the, the rubber meets the road. That's where the hard work
0: is. Right. Swift playgrounds also. Uh, seems significantly improved mm-hmm. with the support for modules. One, one thing that struck me there is that you know people keep wanting to do development on the iPad. Yeah. I have my iPad I right do. here, and I and I do bits of development on it. And uh, it's not Xcode. There's all these ways in which it's limited. Mm-hmm. But then in, su- in in this one particular way, Swift Playgrounds now provides. It's a, approaching it, right? Well, in this particular mm-hmm. yeah. way with module support, it provides a better experience than Xcode because if you're in Xcode and you want to use Swift modules, um, you know, so far what you've needed to do is go and. Create a entirely separate Cocoa Touch framework and then sort out the linking so that it's being it, it's linked correctly you know, with your link. other frameworks. And that always seems a bit trickier than it should be. So there's all of this uh, tooling friction that you go through with Xcode in order to use modules in Swift and have be, have there be a meaningful difference in the access specifier between like public and internal. And and once something grows beyond a certain point, you feel like you want that. You want public and internal and private. Mm-hmm. And file private, I guess, as well. Uh, but it's, but there's this big jump when you go from internal to public because now you feel like you're managing a much more complicated thing but with the new uh, swift playgrounds app it's, it feels like it's as
3: simple as it should be just create a new module and put stuff in it they also did introduce it as a, as a sort of scratch pad for your projects and working things out you know, on the fly i mean to be honest, i've said it many times before if i if i didn't need to carry a mac around i would just my ipad for sure but
2: they're chipping away at that yeah you know getting closer to where you would start a project on your ipad and then just export at that and mm-hmm. take it over to mac and yeah pass.
3: i asked
0: about that like is there some kind of one button script <laughs> that someone could write and they're like mm, no you just need to copy Copy paste the source, so so you, so you build your nice modularly structured uh, you know libraries instead of code in Swift playgrounds, and then you have to go and, you know like an animal, like an animal, like an animal yeah. co- copy the source files and redefine like Cocoa Touch
3: frameworks uh, and Xcode, yeah, yeah. And Swift package manager, and Xcode. That's, oh, Swift package manager. Huge. We should talk about that too. What do you think about package manager? This is the 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 native you know um, Apple created, comparative to, to um, CocoaPods and Cartridge.
0: So, so I use it right now for command line tools because it works. Uh, Okay. We have a lot of little tools that we write to help with this routine workflow, like handling customer data around iWare and some stuff that does fancier operations with, um, uh, 3D models. And, mm-hmm. and Swift Package Manager is very nice. Uh, it, it feels, it feels like you're programming in other sorts of, um, systems where you can put it together, uh, mm-hmm. with te- with text files
3: and, and have it go. I haven't been to the session yet where they talk about its integration with Xcode, but. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because, because to me it seemed like, um, that one advantage they have is because, because it is native iOS. They yeah. can actually get into debugging it, and you can sort of, not, I, don't, I don't know if it's quite true that you can actually see, like, if, if somebody publishes a, 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 package manage, a package that I want to use in my app, I think that, that if I heard it correctly, it, it kind of has an extra level of being able to inspect what's going on in there without revealing too much, but, you know, for debugging mm-hmm. and crash-tracking. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Good. Well, just the fact that there's an Apple-blessed
0: dependency manager is new, right? So, yeah. if you weren't using Cocoa Pards and, and you weren't using Carthage, War, right. then what were you supposed to do to use <laughs> yeah. code that other people wrote and had carefully put on github drag it and into the app delegate and assigned it a semantic version uh what were you supposed to do you're supposed yeah. to like you know go and down you know what git clone it and then manually handle everything which can work but it's nice that there's we're finally getting there
3: yeah i was doing that back in the day and i think i think i have a few apps that still have like dependencies just brought in manually right yeah,
4: if they don't change then it works. work yeah if it ain't broke don't pick it another thing i was pretty excited about is the standalone watch apps oh yeah As someone yeah. who actually developed a watch app in the past year it, it's it was pretty miserable uh, doing debugging on the phone, you know, getting the, the watch to talk to the phone and talk, all talk to Xcode all at the same time. It was a pretty horrible experience mm-hmm. in general. So hopefully now, you know, Xcode will just be able to talk directly to the watch and deploy directly to the watch and everything should smooth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the... Like the I that.
3: talked to Joe Chipolinski about this because he was he's very excited about... He's always wanted to have, like, a standalone watch store, mm-hmm. you know, and have some sort of way of making revenue rather than being attached to a, uh, an iOS app.
0: Are there many people who would use the watch but don't have an iPhone? that's I, a good question I thought about it for my father uh, especially with some of their. I think newer you have, to have an iPhone
3: to set it up, though, don't you? Yeah,
0: but you do. And he doesn't have an iPhone, and I'm not going to be able to talk him into that. And right. then I realize that I'm never going to talk him into the watch either, if I. <laughs> if, it, if it requires an iPhone, then he won't buy.
3: Well, yeah. I can
2: see it that, for kids too. You know. Like, oh yeah. You get a watch before you get a phone, maybe. Because it's smaller. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean they did also rev the iPod Touch like that. That's deserves true. That's true. Well, I mean, that's mention, just that, that so a rare. good point.
3: That's a good point. Like, I mean, like, yeah. More, I mean, as a parent, as a grandparent, yeah. I know it's important that kids now have a. Cell phone you know and then we've talked about how, how you control it and this is a backstory: is that kids are figuring out how to get around the parental controls mm. makes sense <laughs> but Cause the cause the they're smarter than us stuff. right they're like velociraptors yeah. they're always like testing exactly but but yeah I mean that my grandson got a watch but the one complaint was he wanted to get a watch but he didn't have an iPhone at the time so he had to get handed down one of the iPhones that would support a watch I think mm. it was an iPhone 5 Have you phone.
0: thought that this was just the long con on his part like <laughs> the double bank shot like I want the phone they're not going to give it I'll ask for the watch, yeah. <laughs> say it's for safety. Well, you know, boom, boom. phone in my pocket. <laughs> Minecraft, five hours a day. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of crafty that way.
3: But yeah, I mean, like, like it's got the walkie-talkie mode. It's got the ability to to make the emergency call, which is what why you give a kid a phone, right? Yeah, you don't give them a, co- a phone so they can play Minecraft. You give them a phone so you know where they are, and, and they can you can contact them, and they can contact you, right? Um, Within limits, right? Yeah. I yeah. do know
4: some, some Android users who have had Watch Envy. Oh, uh, Watch Envy? Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. Android Wear just isn't at this point. Yeah. So it's always uh, surprised
3: so, me that you th- th- couldn't use an iPad to set one up, or, or, or an iPod. You really? Imagine you couldn't like, even use an iPad to set one up. No, no. no. It has to be what? It
2: Especially after they got cellular, and you're like, why? why can't it set itself up. Mm-hmm.
3: iPad OS. That's another topic. That is oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we've always talked about the iPad. I mean, one of our past hosts was was always on. Like, it's got to be. It's got to have its own operating system, right? Have they
0: gone far enough, really? Well, they've given it its own name, the operating <laughs> system.
3: So I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if that exactly like well, multi-windows now, right? You can have multiple instances of. You can spin up multiple instances of a window.
2: Signaling intent. So, so here's my question. Here's Why, my...
3: Where's the multi-user uh, login? That's what I want. Right. When you guys were in the keynote or
0: State of the Union and looking at the new uh, gestures that were meant to drive multitasking with multiple apps in the iPad, in your heart, when you saw it, was your first reaction like, oh, this makes sense now. This is Last clear. year? Last year. This year. Three-finger, this, this, four-finger, this, this, dragon. This year. Oh. This year. Or or do you look at it and think like, hmm, it's good that it'll be able to do more things, but I'm going to need to sit down with this to figure it out. Right. Because I feel like everyone has to be having that second reaction and the thing I wonder is uh, was that also what it was like when people were first introduced to kind of mouse and windows as a metaphor Mm. because it Mm. seems like there's a deep kind of simplicity and coherence to the idea of you get these boxes on screen you can move them around when you launch something it creates a new one when you close the thing the the big box it goes away Um, you know this is for pointing and these are the things you point at kind of makes sense whereas I feel like the uh, multitasking model for the iPad like I use my iPad a lot I think I use all the multitasking features the picture in picture the side side Slide Away, whatever they call it, the multi pane. But I, I, I struggle, I, I struggle to say it's intuitive. I feel like yeah, I've, just, I've learned, every, it, I've, I've learned how to use it, but a I'm book book not reference
4: card now with all the gestures. Do they have one? I, I don't know. Yeah, or, <laughs> or or remember the days when there used to be these cardboard things that would stick on your keyboard, to, mm-hmm. so you could remember all the command uh, sequences. Yeah, just
0: on. like we needed to use to have uh, a cheat sheet for keyboard right, right, uh, right. commands. Now we're going to need to have a cheat sheet for gestures. That would be a yeah. shame. But I don't know. I don't want to prejudge it. I haven't, I haven't tried
3: it. Just, I, I was just slightly dazzled by it. When I saw it like whoa, this big like little yeah. I, I, one of the things I acquired recently is, is a, a, the 1984 Macintosh manual. It's it's a beautiful piece of like literature, mm. right? Like right. great shots, cast you know, um, Shy Day shots and all that kind of stuff, and you know, all probably well written too. Uh, young you know, young uppie, uppies with their, their nice shirts on, polo shirts with their Macs, and in their carrying cases, right? right. giant bags. Their Macs, which cost more, cost adjusted than the new Mac Pro everyone mm. is yeah, complaining exactly, about. It. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if you do the inflation. Oh, really? That's a good, yeah, interesting point. Um, but what's cool about it is about this manual. Is it actually has a whole section on how a mouse works. You know, with the lift the mouse up and and the, 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 the kind of you know moving your mouse around and how to, what the desktop metaphor is all about, what the trash can means, and where to store files. Because I remember being a Mac user back in the day. Not a, again, not coming out from a computer science point of view and having to learn all this stuff. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and you probably remember the little tutorial that they had with the little birds mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know teaching you how to use a mouse. But, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's cool. And they cool were thing.
2: definitely like anti-GUI and windowing people who just. <laughs> Wanted the command line and thought, you know, what are you doing with your window? I was one of note. those
0: people briefly, but looking back, that was a completely insane proposition. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah,
2: it yeah, explains kind of our resistance to this new, like, weird world where there are all these sort of unguessable gestures that are getting increasingly complicated and harder yeah. to approach for someone who's not already familiar with well, the
3: Well, that's what I wonder. Yeah, that's where i was sort of going with SwiftUI too. There seems to be a lot of, lot of, um, a lot of stuff, substance on the on the top layer, but like, what is really going on? Underneath. that's the part that I have a feeling we're not gonna be able to grok if we're depending where you're coming from. But mm-hmm. I was also a server I still have servers that I've never actually physically seen. They mm-hmm. only work on the command line.
0: Yeah me too. That's the only way I do it with servers. Yeah. But that's because I do that for a living. Like I wouldn't yeah. I don't think that's a sensible um, oh, wait, user a way interface way model yeah, yeah. For, for a consumer device, which is what the iPad is intended to work as in addition to its
3: uh yeah, maybe if for, you're for living in, in if you're like a writer and you're just text only kind of thing, right? So what did you think of the new copy paste gestures? So for it's iPad? funny
0: because I was sitting next to one of the developers of Ulysses um, mm. uh, as the keynote was going. So I was kind of watching him to see like what, what he would think, because that's a com- very complicated text editor wrap. Uh, he had a poker face, though, so I think maybe he knew about it ahead of time. Mm. I'm not mm. sure. I, I I couldn't say. I, I, I don't know. It looked like an improvement. It looked like an improvement. I'll see how it feels. It's not discoverable. Like, three-finger pinch, three-finger spread, uh, as I think I thought at the time, maybe I tweeted it, like, no one is walking around thinking that's a gesture. They've just created it, and I think people can learn it, but it'll take some getting used to. I don't think we've really cracked. Discoverability for gestures, you know, in, in a general way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there is a general way, but one wishes one wishes there were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And I mean, I guess number of fingers is the only differentiator, but I mean, the more they add to each gesture, the more I think it's going to, you get false positives, or it'll be hard to trigger, you know, the three yeah. and four finger ones you miss every now and then. I think getting rid of
0: the magnification loops are probably a good idea. Yeah, as yeah, part of text selection. selection. Yeah. I mean, that seemed like part of the neat gimmick, but maybe didn't. it doesn't work as
3: well as you hoped it would kind That's of it's like reachability, did they add that because they realized they had a problem and they couldn't fix it? Yeah. So they came up with a compromise. Yeah. yeah. Well, those
4: original phones were small, so the, the yeah. magnifying glass helped on those. Now, now that was are screens, I definitely remember
3: not having copy and paste back in the early days. And the
2: force touch to like move your cursor around. Now, when I use an iPhone that doesn't have it, it feels broken. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'd,
0: yeah. I heard a rumor that they're getting rid of. Um, I, I heard that too. Yeah, force touch, yeah. which would make me sad because I feel like I use it all the time.
2: Right. Yeah, especially that cursor yeah. thing. I mean, that's the only way to position the cursor. It's also like, good
0: for all the control center widgets. Like You tap into them and then you get yeah, a that. deeper level of control, like how bright you want your flashlight to mm-hmm. be. So
4: supposedly they're going to replace a lot of that with this long press, but then will that adhere with that that already use long press or something? No. Yeah. Um, Does that
2: have to do with trying to bring the pencil to the iPhone? Mm. Oh, that's a thought. Mm. Because they're incompatible,
3: right? I mean, the iPad doesn't have Force Touch. Hmm. It's interesting too that they didn't get rid of the original pencil and they brought it back with the, the latest iPad as well. I'm, as a sidebar here, I'm, I'm looking through my notes here, trying to find... Um, a comment that one of the presenters made and I can't find it, but it'll be for follow-up for next week, but mm-hmm. one of them actually said, there is no step yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two. That's,
0: that's moving up, right? It used to be there is no step no three. Step yeah, three yeah. Yeah. Next step is going to be someone just comes on stage. Silence. There is no, step, no step, step one. one. <laughs> <Mike> drops <laughs> mic drops, walk away. <laughs> Boom, everyone is just,
2: crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 1984 commercial. It's yeah. Amazing,
3: yeah.
0: So speaking of cost, I know I just mentioned that offhand, but I hadn't actually checked it. I just looked it up right now. Cost of the original Macintosh. Uh, I'm on a page that's calling it the Macintosh 128K, which I, think I guess 2400 bucks, right? Yeah, so the original Macintosh was $2,495, right. equivalent to
3: U.S. $6,000 in 2018. Yeah.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. on Mac that Pro.
0: view, yeah. the Mac Pro costs as much as the original Macintosh does, yeah. like inflation-adjusted, roughly. Right.
3: They could have landed on the moon with the original Mac, though, so
0: if you think about
4: it. But it came with the screen. Well, like. that was like the equivalent of an boot.
0: Well, there would have been no nowhere to plug it in on the moon,
3: Tim. Like, why would no, you bring true.
0: it? That's true. It's and you'd Mac have all, all that bulk, too. Right? Yeah,
3: yeah. You know they left their their moon boots on the moon? Did they? To save weight, yeah. They only came back in their moon socks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So apparently, like, I'm sure some Smithsonian collectors is going to go up to the moon someday just to retrieve the boots, right? Mm-hmm. They did bring them back in subsequent launch, oh. but but the first, the initial, you know, 50th anniversary coming up in July. I want to say 17th, maybe. Don't you know, don't at me. I hope so they didn't they, leave like a bunch of empty Coke cans there and like burger they, wrappers. They threw their they, they just, threw their stuff a, out the door. Yeah, they literally, and it's all still sitting there waiting for them to come back. I mean, it's not decaying, mm-hmm. right?
4: right? So <laughs> it'll all be on eBay in 50 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly, for <laughs> sure.
3: All right, so uh, what's next? Um, any other thoughts on... Uh, I went to the LMVM, LLVM session. It was really entertaining, hmm. the high-level debugging stuff.
0: I'm, in, I'm interested in thinking if the DSL features that they've added to Swift for the purpose of Swift UI are going to end up being used in other ways as well. I think that's
3: hmm. super interesting. To so what's about. DSL for those of us driving at home? Uh,
0: domain-specific language, but okay. basically the idea that you can make the syntax of your language flexible in such a way that uh, when you look at the language, 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 it seems to fit right very naturally into some narrower little domain, like defining a tree of things that's going to be HTML or defining a tree of things going to be a view hierarchy. But for instance, I know um, I was doing uh, some hacking around with people who are working on building a machine learning library in Swift for the Fast AI uh, machine learning library and coming up with a Swift version of it. And one question that comes up is like, well, what is the most Swifty representation of a machine learning model? Um, Because you can imagine these representations that are kind of maybe tree-like or graph-like, where you have like layer here, layer here. Here. These layers are stacked up. These layers are made out of other layers. And, uh, you know, DSL that made it uh, easy to sort of elegantly express these structures in the language mm-hmm. is the kind of thing you could use in that domain as well. And there's a lot of interesting potential that people haven't uh, really started thinking about yet, about property wrappers and the
3: DSL support.
2: Yeah, the extensibility of that, how you're able to, yeah. you know, use it as a library
3: author. Yeah. Did either of you guys go to the uh, the App Store? What's new in the App Store session? No. no. What, what's new? What's new in the App Store? Well, there's a couple of minor... Well, one of the things is, is Test flight now is... Um, let me just go through it, uh, my notes here we use TestFlight every day so I'm interested in anything they do to it well mm-hmm. what, uh, in TestFlight the, the um, you can have, had, I think they had public link last year where you could kind you of link to a variety of people and just have them join join your teams that's for right. test things yeah. right that's mm-hmm. something new um, test back feed the feedback now is a little different um, if somebody's using your app and they take a screenshot now and they're running a mm. TestFlight build of your app there's a new in the top of the action sheet is send to developer yeah. oh that's they, good they and learn they can, from Instabutter right? yeah and they can gang up multiple they can crop like a, a region that may be out of alignment or something like that. So mm-hmm. you can have two screenshots, one of the full screen, one of the... So you can have multiple screenshots in one package. And then there's a, a space to, to enter a comment as well to the uh, That's the great. Makes me think Apple might even be using TestFlight internally. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, I, some questions about whether Apple actually does do, do QA, but... Um, <laughs> <That's> harsh. <laughs> harsh. <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> unnecessary, Tim. It's a theme. It's a theme. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the, uh, the other thing with, with, the, with the feedback is that if your app does crash, it actually now shows a dialog box, which which lets them lets the user, like like you have a crash on the Mac, you now have a crash on the phone. And you mm-hmm. can have an opportunity to say to the developer what you were doing. I don't know if it captures anything. I think it captures a crash log and some JSON about what was going on, like JSON about the metadata about the phone and the environment and battery. And Does it do sys diagnose? I don't know for sure, but but right. there is there is definitely sends along the crash log with with the because uh, that would be comment. amazing. Because like right mm-hmm. now, um, oh, actually no, I think it's a packing download from from the store. Yeah,
0: like okay. so right now the new well new as of like one or two years ago logging framework that Apple asks you to use, OS log. I got very excited about it, but then the more I looked at it, the more I realized it didn't really meet my needs, and I suspect it wouldn't meet the needs of almost anyone doing uh, app development outside of Apple, because in order to generate the um, awesome, holds all sorts of carefully and efficiently collected information data packet that you'd want to generate from users, you need to ask the user to do a sys diagnose, which requires a gesture that no one's ever done before, you know, on their phone. And then they have to wait 10 minutes, and then go into settings, and then find like a 300 megabyte file, literally it could be like hundreds of megabytes and find some way to communicate it to you. And when I read that, I was like, well, okay, I'll check in again next year. <laughs> uh, so so when you point out that they've added uh, something like this, where an uh, intuitive gesture that someone's going to do when they actually want to give you feedback, like right. take a sneak snapshot, is automatically prompting for more feedback that mm-hmm. uh, would actually be useful. Mm-hmm. It raises my hopes up, like if they're if that triggers a sysdiagnose under the hood and then sends that in.
3: Mm-hmm. So they talked about this Transporter app. I've, I'm not. It's a Mac app. I'm not sure if it's new this year, but it, apparently it's a new way to, to upload apps. Like we had the app page loader before. I think that's existed for a while. Yeah. So and it, it, well, they, they were just talking about. I mean, they were talking about a bunch of things. But the, uh, the how that interface goes. They've added a new build activity view in the in. I still want to call it ITC, but it's App Store Connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a new build activity view. You can see it has notification type uh, information for you. So activity beyond processing. I think it actually. Well, it talks about build processing, so I'm not sure how deep that goes. Because
0: right um, now, you upload something, then it says processing for 30 minutes. Yeah. And then eventually <laughs> the build's available for. 10
3: I believe there was some some, some sort of uh, progress I mean, it's as well. Not, and then you have to upload another
4: one and wait another half.
3: Yeah. yeah, there was there was broad progress there. They mentioned that for sure. Are uh, they trying
0: to replace Fastlane for some
3: things? I think so. That was mm. my the impression I got about mm. this. Um, but I got I got that impression in other places too. I think maybe the Xcode debugging stuff. Uh, pricing for more... that
4: crash logger. Did they say does it take one last screenshot or uh, upload crash?
3: Logger? I don't know. I think well by that time your app's crashed, right? Right, so but you're you're at the home screen or the. But the presumably, yeah,
4: you know, the system could remember the last screenshot. Yeah.
3: Uh, well, I started, to... I, I'm trying to remember now whether the crash log was. I, I definitely know they talked about a zip file that you could download that would have mm-hmm. the, the device metadata as well as the, the actual crash log. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. that might be through App Store Connect, not through this this mechanism. Mm. Right. Okay. So there must be some way. Uh, possibly, I don't know. Yeah. We'll follow and we'll, we'll have that as a fact check for the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, they just talked about more languages. Um, they pointed out about la- localization. Their their stat is that five percent of the world speaks English as first language. So all the more reason to localize. Five percent. Five percent. Five percent. That's what they're number was. So they've added thirty seven languages to the apps to the app store. The actual the actual app store itself, the App Store app mm-hmm. is now App Store and iOS, I don't know if the new app or not, but um that is now localized into into more languages, including <laughs> Arabic and Hebrew. So the really good background noise. <laughs> uh, but Arabic and, and Hebrew for the le- you know, the right to left languages. All right. Um yeah there was some just more more cool stuff. Um twenty four hour dashboard. Like so if you want to know what's happening in your sales mm-hmm. you know, you, you now like just like on Google, you have this sort of real view. You can see what's happening oh, in the last really? twenty four hours, yeah. I that's, that's kind of cool alright so I guess we should uh, move on to uh, our picks is that what we want to do sure yeah so um, we normally go around the table and ask anybody if they have a pick or technology or uh, something that, that you think is interesting to viewers so do you have a pick I actually don't have a pick of course That no surprise <laughs> there whatsoever you should go first Ricky because I, I only learned about this just now So oh I okay <laughs> yeah, I, got, I got tons of
2: picks I'll cover everybody um, you know I really liked what Alexis was saying at the beginning about you know MVC versus MVVM and that made me feel a little better because I was a little you know just trying to follow everything about view models that they were it's all confusion man
0: it's all confusion don't let anyone tell you the difference the truth is it's like way more acronyms than ideas out there and people don't even explain the ideas Mm -hmm. clearly
2: right but one (laughs) thing that's my my (laughs) philosophy listening to like so many presentations this week talk about you know view controller size and how SwiftUI or different things that they have done will make your view controller smaller and you know less massive and I thought of the massive view controller joke (laughs) about uh, the MVC acronym Um, the focus on performance was really nice to see. I mean that was really, you know, Craig talked about it a lot in the State of the Union and for pencil users there is the speed up from mm-hmm. 20 milliseconds to 9 milliseconds latency
3: and is that in the new in the OS or in Yeah, the- it's just a software. So they didn't oh. have to do
2: anything to hardware. They just, you know, somehow optimized the input uh, mechanism and they're already sampling it so fast on the new iPad Pros that it's mm-hmm. very close to paper. And I was talking to a guy who's an illustrator, 3D artist and uh, he's got the fancy Cintiq that you draw on from Wacom or Wacom, however you say it. Um, and I say Wacom, but it's actually Wacom. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> potato potato. Yeah. Um, but you know that it's really cool to see them focusing on that stuff, and you know it really matters. And I just went to the um, optimizing file storage talk, and they had some really interesting mm-hmm. sort of stats about like how expensive it is to like access a plist or XML or JSON file, and you know how you might want to be using core data instead, and then a bunch of tips about if you do think that you can just do SQLite yourself, here's what you should be doing. These are things that Core Data does for you. So, you know, it's nice to see Apple sort of like taking those lessons to heart and integrating them into the operating system that we all use every day and wait. For things to finish on all the time, or you can just buy a macro and everything will go really fast. <laughs> you know, um, with your 1.5 five... customers,
4: <laughs> my, <I>, my <laughs>
3: comment—I think I mentioned to you about the, the macro. Me, I, I, halfway through the description of the macro, I thought this was like—I think somebody said an SNL sketch or like an Onion <laughs> report. Yeah. It just seemed like let's have four GPUs because we can. Right, the six
2: displays, and you know, John Gruber in his live talk show was talking about when they said 1.5 terabytes of RAM. He turned to the guy next to him and he's like, "Hard drive?" And he's like, "No, no, no." No, Ram, <laughs> so it's getting really you know I mean it's just a crazy world we live in and then in just a bunch of sessions that I thought were really amazing um, you know the Tim had already mentioned the data flow through SwiftUI which was uh, 226 um, there are we talked about Combine and there's two different Combine um, right. introducing Combine and advances in foundation 711 and uh, Combine in practice 721 um, so know, it seems like
0: you like Combine but... well
2: I didn't go I was both of those conflicted with other sessions I went to a lot of the Swift UI ones um, just because it's a new thing And so uh,
3: I can throw in about Combine because I went to the first session I think, was, I think it was one of the Swift UI sessions early in the week like or whatever day the Combine was I guess it was Wednesday and um, I I hadn't even heard about it and then all of a sudden it just to me that there were like two other sessions on it and so I texted my partner to go to the other one so because I, I had a conflict she went to that one and I went to the, the one afterwards and because all of a sudden it just the light went on that this Combine thing was something important to, mm-hmm. to sort of mm-hmm. Get your head around, right? So, yeah. So, definitely is something to, to yeah. And I focus think it was
2: Casey Liz on ATP was talking about, you know, it's basically RS RX Swift, you know. Yeah. That's so I got the, the idea. Yeah. Brought into uh, the, you know, standard library. So, that's really exciting. Um, I think, uh, you know, just uh, the sign in with Apple is a big deal. Oh, yeah. That's, yep. that's oh. really, yep.
0: and what a like flexing of muscle. Yeah. Because if I understand the policy around it, if your app uses sign in with Facebook or sign in with Twitter, then you're right. obliged <laughs> to use sign in with Apple. Yeah. Which yeah. is, Eventually, Definitely one way to drive adoption. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: And they have the you know random email address that you can use to sort of control spam and tracking, which is really nice. There was a bunch of advances in like password autofill. There was a really great session about like what's new in Safari authentication and you know something else. Um, but they talked about signing with Apple and um, you know just all those different things. Uh, it works in Mac apps now mm-hmm. apparently and Ooh. the password autofill as well. If you bring your iPad app to the Mac, you'll get password autofill, p-chain cool. integration.
4: All right, my, and my pick Android and, and uh, Windows. Yeah.
3: So my pick is, I, I went to the education meetup and, and uh, education is something I'm always interested in. Um, there was a couple of cool things. I met a gentleman who's the developer's name is Winston Chen. He makes an app called Voice Dream Scanner and it basically, you can take a phone or an iPad and you can scan a piece of text document and it'll convert it into like does OCR on the fly, on the machine, using machine learning and uh, you can then have it read that text to you or follow along as, as you're reading it kind of thing. So it's really good for it. And it also, it, it, um, you can do that with voiceover, but I asked him about that because I, I often want to read a book, but I'm walking down the street or something, right? So I'll put on voiceover and do the two-finger drag. And he was showing me that it's a little bit better than, than, uh, than voiceover. One of the annoying things about voiceover is you have to lock your phone because if, you if you turn your phone, it says landscape, and oh, it geez. stops reading. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder how you know uh, uh, people who need accessible uh, reading feel about that. So that was cool. And then there was a bunch of other things. So they, they were doing a demo for the classroom kit, which we talked about, in the past, mm-hmm. and st- schoolbook app. Schoolbook app is a, is an app that runs on the iPad, and they can they can send assignments to kids, like especially kindergarten kids who don't pre K, who don't know, really know how to go to page thirty seven and start exercise number one. You can actually create a deep link in in an app that's written for for classroom or yeah, classroom school with ClassKit. If it has ClassKit built in, then um, they can create a deep link on the fly and just send that out to people. So they they can load up any app, but specifically these ones. So that's kind of a handy handy tool. So I got to see that happen live, and that just a, sort of a pet peeve for me is that class kit allow or this whole classroom metaphor that they have allows you to have multi-users on a single iPad hmm. where's that for the rest of us mm.
0: that would be great well then <laughs> then uh, everyone in the family wouldn't have a separate iPad though
3: so that's, <laughs> that's, right. that's yeah. true yeah. yeah I guess I guess
2: but it landed on TVOS though so now oh we had yes
3: yeah, so we have multi-user uh, like Netflix kind of support right
2: right yeah it works like Hulu or and I hope it's not as annoying where it asks you every time you're like it's still me you <laughs> yeah, know, like, well make me switch you know like don't yeah. don't make me answer it every time I open the app.
3: or well, maybe we can wave our, our WWC badge in front of it and it'll recognize us. Yeah. All right. I wonder if
4: you'll be able to, so at com- some point, use your iPhone base ID to automatically log into the There you the go. Hired.
3: Okay. Yeah. I won't pick anything
0: related to Swift UI because I think it's obvious we're all going to look at it because it's like so cool and, yeah. and so new, so it's yeah. just redundant to point it out. I thought the What's New in Swift session was good for going into a little depth on some of the language features that enable it. Um, I think uh, one pick, which I guess is slightly outside the conference, is actually the Swift conference. Which oh, that happening today. Just down the block today. Yeah. I'm hoping to spend a good chunk of the afternoon there. They have a bunch of people there who will walk you through how you could make contributions to the compiler or to the core libraries. And I've always wanted to do that, and I've never gotten around to it, so I'm really looking forward to that. I know the Swift for Ten- with TensorFlow team is there, and I've done some work with that. So that's my pick, and I, cause I think they're also going to put videos online if you're interested in learning more about how the uh, parts of the language are built. I think they make it accessible. Cool.
4: Where's that being held?
0: Uh, so we are right, right next to the Hilton Marriott, They mm-hmm. uh, the Marriott, 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 Marriott San Jose. The, yep. the Hilton San Jose is just His on the press, other side yeah. of the convention center, and that's yep. where that's happening right
2: Okay. Now. Also, shout out to AltConf. I talked to another first-time WWDC person who's having trouble like talking to people here, but then went over to AltConf and said it was very friendly and had a wonderful wow. time. So yep,
3: wow. That's a so strange. Way to go. So I guess that's it for another week, so let's go around, let's go around the table and, and see what's up with people. So Mark, if people want to try and get in touch with you,
4: how do they do that? I'm at MarkR at SmapSoft.com.
3: All right, and Alexis, if people want to get in touch with you? Uh,
0: best way is at Alexis Gallagher on Twitter. I do have an email address, but I've now become famous for being pretty bad at responding to it. So just reach out to me on Twitter; I'm easy to find.
3: Okay. And so, what about uh, where do you work? And
0: uh, are I, you hiring? I am actually. It's Apology Eyewear. We uh, have stuff coming up that I can't quite announce. It's going to require building a lot of new tech for iPad uh, and for doing more things with Eyewear that no one has done before. So if you're if you are interested in iOS application development, um, if you are interested in augmented reality, if you are interested uh, actually being used in retail for real, if you're interested in software that talks to hardware because we manufacture custom glasses from scratch based on measurements we take of your face then please reach out to me because i'm hiring like crazy now i'm uh, just very lazy about talking to recruiters so okay cool. <laughs> so I, my hiring like crazy is really wanting to hire this i need to put myself out there but please just reach out to me sure. okay. are those They're
4: topology nice. glasses you're wearing now? they
0: are topology glasses i'm wearing right now very nice wow, can't great. you tell by, stylish. by, by their stylishness yep, and yep. perfect fit they sound
2: very stylish it yeah. is <laughs> we are the most
0: we are the most iphone ios technology enabled eyewear in the world right now That's 100% true. So check it out if you're curious. Apology. I wear.
2: Very nice. Um, Thanks, right, Ricky. Yeah, for those of you driving home, uh, real time follow up. What's new in authentication, Safari, and WebKit is session number 504, featuring uh, my friend Ricky Mondello, who's a fantastic person and developer. Um yeah, so in touch with you. On Twitter, it's my full name, but my website is probably easier. It's R D E L A dot com, like Roger Delta Echo Lima Alpha dot com. Were you in the Delta
3: Force? Is that why you called that
2: one? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. I thought so. I thought so, <laughs> man. Cool.
3: Yeah, it's a secret. All right. Once again, my name is Timitra T I M M I T R A. On the Twitter machine is the best way to get a hold of me. So until next week, we'll say bye bye. Bye bye.
4: Bye goodbye.
1: This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word.